Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.59 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 7th of January, 2022. This is episode 521 of Bitcoin, and I'm looking at my Gitter page. Yeah, I'm relegated to the basement. <laughs> oh my God, dude. I I got to tell you, as evil as Bird App is, you know, it's it really kind of sucks not being able to be connected with uh, what's going on in the outside world. And I'm I'm reaching out to you know as many people as I can on Telegram. Um, uh, I'm using this opportunity to learn how to fight through the Telegram interface because it's just I gotta tell you, it's just awful. I freaking hate Telegram like uh, nobody's business. And Gitter is, dude, I'm just finding out that now the CEO of Gitter is uh, saying that people should wear masks in public. So we've got a cuck on our hands for Gitter. Uh, no surprise there. It's like, I, I, you know, I remember sort of the same shit happening with Gab and uh, a couple of other uh, pieces of software that were trying to quote unquote be the next Twitter. It's all bullshit. And this goes back to what I was saying yesterday. How do you keep your network intact when you've been trained to use a centralized piece of software like Twitter um, when you get banned or deleted or otherwise put to death? Uh, you know, honestly, that's kind of what happened to me. I was, I was really put to death. Um, so I'm going to lay, you know, I got to lay low for a couple of weeks and I guess I'm going to get a new, uh, a burner phone number. It's easy to, you know, to get a new, uh, uh, email address so that I can set this shit all back up. But dude, it's like the damage is done. So like I said, I'm sitting here looking at my Gitter page and it's just so sad. <laughs> it fucking blows. Um, however, you know, we got Jack Dorsey out there in the wind. He's not saying very much. I doubt seriously that the man has retired. So I'm kind of wondering what he's going to pull out of his sleeve. And I hope it, whatever he is going to pull out of his sleeve, uh, comes very soon because this is, this is really excruciating, honestly. Um, now I keep thinking about, the possibility of how, you know, how do you group several different um, social media platforms together without, I mean, not, and I'm not talking about centralizing them. I'm not saying that, you know, Zuckerberg should buy every piece of social media and, and put them all together. No, 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 that would be terrible. Um, but how, you know, how would it be that you would get Gitter to talk to everything else Mastodon to talk to everything else, uh, Telegram to talk to everything else, Matrix to talk to everything else. Matrix is actually kind of slick, by the way. I'm really digging the interface. I just don't know, you know, I don't have enough peeps over there to really, you know, flex it as much. But what I have seen of, of the Matrix uh, stuff is pretty cool. <clears throat> and I am using Element uh, the app element on my iPhone and on, um, on desktop to be able to access that. <clears throat> but what I'm saying is, you know, there's that IFTTT or if this, then that, and I'm looking, I'm thinking of something like that, but something that goes over everything. So you have like one piece of software that's just, a, you know, is a reader and a way to be able to interact with all these different 
devices and, and software platforms all at once from one GUI, one graphic user interface. If anybody has any, any idea how to do that and wants to build something, I guarantee it. If you build that and make it work, where I can go into one thing, open up one package on my computer or one pack, you know, app on my phone and be able to interact with all of this stuff together and one, you know, like one post hits all of them. You know, there used to be a time when cross-posting was bad. Now cross-posting is absolutely critical. It is absolutely critical. If you're not cross-posting, you're doing yourself a disservice. And for those people who really don't like cross-posting, I don't know what to tell you. But we live in a time where at any given time, you can be just deleted. And it would be really nice if you could, you know, have this one thing that aggregates all of the social media platforms together so that you have a better chance of keeping your network intact because that's the most important thing. I, my idea about how it would look or what it should do is all bullshit. The only thing that needs to fall out of any of this is to be able to keep your network intact. That's it. However you can do that, whatever piece of software can be designed to do that is all I'm looking for. What it looks like, I don't care. As long as it keeps your network together. Now, that said, let's get into this guy's little uh, foray into Mexico. This is from Jeff Wilzer writing for Coindesk. He says, now I need Bitcoin, a banking breakdown in Mexico. This is a story about a dumb American traveling in Mexico, me. A con man's attempt to hustle pesos from tourists and the limitations of traditional banking, and it begins with a broken ATM. Recently, I traveled to Mexico City. I know less Spanish than the average toddler. On my very first day in Mexico at the ATM, I inserted my card and the machine swallowed it. I pressed the red cancel button. Nothing. I pressed more buttons at random. Nothing. I spoke to a lady inside the bank who couldn't understand a word I was saying, which is not her fault. And after we found a translator, she explained that this ATM was out of order and that if I understood Spanish, I would have read the warning message on the screen. Again, this is also on me. We're in Mexico and it's my fault I don't speak the language. I'd have to contact my bank, Fidelity, to get a new debit card mailed to me. I would be in Mexico for the next two weeks and clearly I'd need more cash, so I called Fidelity to cancel my card and send me a new one. Problem number one. Fidelity says they would happily send me a new card, but I would need to call a different company, Visa Emergency Card Services, to have a new one sent. Fidelity handles my checking, but apparently they outsource things like debit cards. Yes, of course they do. So I call Visa. Problem number two. Visa tells me they need to authorize that I'm actually a Fidelity customer, and this could take some time, so I wait. In the meantime, I can't get cash. I hear nothing from Visa for two days. I still have no cash aside from the pesos that a friend lent me. Problem number three. Finally, Visa tells me that I would actually need to call PNC Bank because PNC Bank, another partner of Fidelity's, is actually the group that handles the back end of the checking or something like that. I have never heard of PNC Bank. I've been a Fidelity customer for over a decade and I have never seen the words PNC Bank on my debit card or on my banking statements, or on my login screen. Problem number four. Hi, thank you for calling PNC Bank, the rep said. Can I have your account number? I have no idea, I said. I'm a Fidelity customer, and they told me to call you. The PNC rep checks her computer and then tells me that no, in fact, I'm not a customer and that I should call Fidelity. I call back Fidelity. The Fidelity rep tells me that, nope, I never should have called PNC Bank. They say that I have been misinformed and that I need to call Visa. Problem number five. Again, I call Visa. They tell me they've been trying to reach Fidelity. Do you know the phone number for Fidelity? The Visa agent asked me. I'm the customer. I, don't you know the number? Uh, one second, sir, said Visa, who put me on hold to find the number. She 
soon comes back. I have Fidelity on the line, she said. So now the three of us are conferenced in. Can I have your account number? The Fidelity rep asks. I give it to her. Sir, can you repeat that? I'm not seeing that in my records. That's bizarre. So I repeat the number. Are you sure you're a member of Fidelity Kansas City? The rep asked. Excuse me? This is the local branch of Fidelity in Kansas City. Are you a member here? Apparently, the Visa rep had not called the primary Fidelity number, which they should know, but instead some random branch of Fidelity. Problem 6789 through 37. I'll skip ahead and summarize the flurry of calls. This kind of clumsy miscommunication between banking partners that work together all under the Fidelity umbrella happened for days. I spend hours on the phone with Visa, Fidelity, and PNC Bank. By now, I've left Mexico City and I'm in a small beach town, Sayulita, that for the most part does not accept credit cards. Cash is king. My American friends have all returned home. I'm traveling solo and have no way to get cash. I'm counting on that debit card from Fidelity or Visa or PNC Bank or whatever. In the grand scheme of things, of course, this is quite literally a first world problem. I'm a privileged American, oh good God, don't do that, who ultimately has access to resources and I knew my pinch was temporary. Millions of people have real and wrenching problems. I only have minor headaches. But the headache seems lifted when I finally get Visa and Fidelity on the phone together. The Fidelity rep, James, assures the Visa rep that I am in fact a customer and that Fidelity does in fact authorize Visa to send me a debit card. James provides his employer ID number. James is making this happen. James is the best. <laughs> the most reps I spoke to were great. The failure was not one of human competence. The failure was a creaky system held together by duct tape. Quote, so do you have everything I need? I asked the visa rep. They assure me that they do. Problem number 38. Another day passes. I get a message that I need to call back Visa because there's been another snag. Visa says they need more information from Fidelity to mail me the card because they're not sure if it should be printed as Jeff Wilzer or Jeffrey Wilzer or Jeff J. Wilzer or Jeffrey J. Wilzer. This brought everything to a halt. Still, no cash. More calls, more waiting on hold, more connecting Fidelity and Visa. Finally, they authorize the card to be sent. Victory! It's guaranteed to arrive to me in Sayulita via DHL Priority Mail on Friday. For perspective, I arrived in Mexico the prior Thursday. For a week, I've been unable to get cash. Friday comes, no card arrives. It was held up in customs. But hopefully DHL will deliver it on Saturday? Nope. DHL doesn't work weekends in Mexico. Now I'm desperate for cash. I call Visa and ask if they can do an emergency wire transfer. They said they'd be happy to, but they need to get approval from Fidelity. Now I'm feeling PTSD. Eventually Visa gets Fidelity on the line. I'm conferenced in. I approve the wire transfer, the Fidelity rep said. We're going to need your authorization code, said Visa. What code? The, the Fidelity rep is confused. We need a code to process this, says Visa. One second, says Fidelity. Fidelity puts me on hold and tries to hunt down this access code that Visa needs. I feel bad for the Fidelity rep. I feel bad for the Visa rep. It's Saturday afternoon and all of us would rather be doing something else. I go back to waiting on hold and by now, the hold music is the soundtrack to my life. The Fidelity rep is back. He can't find the needed code. He has never heard of this code. He asks around to his Fidelity colleagues and none of them knew of any such code. Then the Visa rep realizes that it might have been a moot point to authorize a wire transfer. They need approval from another entity. Guess who? PNC Bank. I literally laugh. PNC Bank, I asked. Okay, great. Can we get PNC Bank to approve this? Problem number 39. PNC Bank, or at least the relevant department from PNC Bank, is closed for the weekend. The Fidelity rep says he feels bad for me, and I believe him. We've now been on the phone for an hour. He has heard my sad little story, and he's surprised, as I am, that we're routed back to this enigmatic PNC Bank. But wait, maybe there's a clever solution after all. I also have a credit card from Fidelity, but once again, this credit card is operated by a third party, Elan Financial Services. 
My credit card is not set up to be used at ATMs. I don't have a PIN. What if Fidelity could change this and let me use the credit card in the ATM? Well, that might work, the Fidelity rep said. Let me look into it. I wait on hold. In two weeks in Mexico, I've spent more time on hold than I did on the beach. The good news is that, yes, my Visa card can be turned into a card that works at an ATM. All they need to do is give me a PIN. The bad news is they can only do this by sending the PIN through the mail. This is not a joke. They need to mail the PIN. In this era of cryptography, the PIN can only be delivered via parcel, meaning their tech is not innovated since the days of Benjamin Franklin. So there's nothing we can do? I asked him. There's no way I can get cash? I'm afraid not. The system broke down, I told him. Again, he apologizes and he essentially agrees with me. I want to underline that every individual I spoke to was competent and courteous. This is not their fault. I should add that I've generally been a happy Fidelity customer. Their customer service is normally top-notch and I contacted Fidelity a few weeks later to ask if they would like to comment for this story. Outside of an email apology that looked a bit like a form letter, they declined. Now, here's where Bitcoin enters the story. <clears throat> Kidding. I don't know that cryptocurrency, at least with today's infrastructure, would have cracked my problem. Taco stands and say, Alita, do not accept Bitcoin or Shiba, and this is not El Salvador. Perhaps I should have used something like local Bitcoins to swap Bitcoin. I do own some for pesos. Maybe that could have worked. But I do know that when people in the U.S. say crypto makes no sense because my credit card works just fine, that's only part of the story. Yes, it works just fine when everything runs smoothly. It works just fine if you don't mind paying fees, whether directly or indirectly. It works just fine when you have <clears throat> no other countries involved. But when that bubble is pierced, the banks can't even talk to themselves. Now, this is where the con man enters the story. I'm down to my final 50 pesos. This is equivalent to about $2.50 American. I have one last move to make. I head to a gringo tourist bar and I order a beer with my last 50 pesos. It's Saturday afternoon. College football is playing. I spot a tipsy American woman who's cheering for Oklahoma. So now I'm cheering for Oklahoma. I went to college at the University of Texas. Oklahoma is our sworn enemy. Pausing here for a second. He's not kidding. Texas and Oklahoma rivalry is one of the deepest rivalries you'll ever see between universities and specifically between university football teams. Now, continuing, go Oklahoma, I yell. Man, that must have sucked for him. <laughs> Soon the lady and I are chatting. We're flirting. And now I feel like a con man. Quote, so I have a crazy question, but I'm wondering if you can help me. I tell her my plight or at least a highly condensed version. And I asked her if I can Venmo her U.S. dollars in exchange for pesos. She agrees. Soon I have a stack of a thousand pesos. I feel flush with cash and later I repeat the same trick with another tipsy American tourist. Thanks to this mini breakdown of the banking system, I've turned into a pathetic peso hustler. More flirting, more hustling, more pesos. Soon, I can buy all the tacos and beer I want. And two weeks after I landed in Mexico, literally the day before I fly back to the United States, once it is no longer needed, DHL delivers my new debit card. Oh, dude, that's the end of the article. But probably not the end of the woes that not only Americans, but many tourists are going to feel in Mexico, Latin America, Africa, you name it, dude, you name it. The system is clearly so rickety and held together by so much duct tape <clears throat> that as we move forward in this new world, it's going to become even more and more difficult to do things like this. What is going to be the answer? Central bank digital currencies will solve all of our problems. No, they will not. They will actually create way more problems than you can possibly ever imagine. You get thrown in jail in another country. That country calls your country of origin. And all of a sudden, your CBDC access is going to be completely shut down because of state departments having to be nice to each other in a di diplomatic situation. Do you think, I, you think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. This is going to start happening. If you start depending on CBDCs, because at first they will work flawlessly, I'll bet. I'll bet they will work like a charm. But 
they will carry with them the, the seeds of your destruction. They will carry with them the seeds of making sure that you buy only what they want you to buy, when they want you to buy it. There will be, there will be a timestamp on your CBDCs that if you don't get rid of them, after a certain amount of time, they will vaporize. This is a controlled economy that they want to put into our lives. And it's not going to work for us. It'll work for them. But unless you're one of them, unless you're a functionary in the United States government that you don't really have to worry about shit, this shit is not going to work for you. So be aware. These kind of problems that Jeff Wilzer is talking about are going to be paraded out in front of us by central banks, Jerome Powell, Janet Yellen, Hillary Clinton, you name it, man. And they're going to say, look, we've got problems with the, with the worldwide banking system, and here's how we're going to fix it. And that fix is going to be CBDCs. Here, it's going to look like, in the, in the West, it's going to look like convenience. But it's going to have the exact same effect as what they're doing to their people in China. My question is, and always will be, don't these people have something better to do with their lives than to control everything they see? Have we really just put 100% psychopaths and sociopaths in control because we just can't be fucking bothered? Ponder that for a minute. Let's get on into the rest of the news. Bitcoin Magazine, Nomsios has this one. Core Scientific mined over 1,000 Bitcoin in December to end 2021, holding 5,296 BTC. Not bad, dude. Provider of Bitcoin mining infrastructure and hosting solutions, Core Scientific, mined 1,044 Bitcoin in December and 5,769 BTC in 2021 overall, according to a statement the company issued on Wednesday. Core Scientific's production in December and in the entire year represented an increase of 313% and 350% over the same periods of the previous year as the miner ended 2021 holding 5,296 Bitcoin worth roughly $230 million at the time of writing. Quote, we are pleased with our progress in 2021. Our strong momentum positions us for continued growth in 2022, Core Scientific CEO Mike Levitt said in a statement. Core Scientific said its fleet currently consists of, Jesus, 67,000 Bitcoin mining rigs with a hash rate capacity of 6.6 exahashes per second, which it expects to further enlarge in 2022. The company said it had contracted for the delivery of over 100,000 rigs, which it, which it expects to receive this year. In addition to its self-mining operations, Core Scientific also provides hosting services for third-party mining entities in the form of infrastructure technology and operating support. The company said its hosting business, <clears throat> sorry, the company said its hosting business currently serves more than 80,000 Bitcoin mining machines that output a total of 6.9 exahashes per second, and it has secured agreements with its customers to provide an extra 430 megawatts of power in 2022. In July, Core Scientific announced that it would go public through a merger with special purpose acquisition company Power and Digital Infrastructure Acquisition Corporation. The merger transaction valued the combined company expected to operate as Core Scientific and remain publicly listed on the NASDAQ at an implied pro forma fully diluted enterprise value of approximately $4.3 billion with a B. <clears throat> a special meeting will be held virtually on January 9th for XPDI shareholders to vote on the business combination with Core Scientific. Uh, now, this sounds exactly like the story that I read to you yesterday about Marathon. It's not the same story. Uh, well, I mean, okay. It's not the exact same story, but it's almost exactly the same thing that we read yesterday. We've got a, a very large mining you know, uh, Bitcoin miner out there. They're holding a shit ton of Bitcoin on their balance sheet because they're mining a shit ton of Bitcoin. They're not really letting it go, at least so far as we know. And they also, like Marathon, have an, a massive order to expand their mining capacity. And yet we see Bitcoin on a price slide right now that's freaking everybody the fuck out. Stay calm, y'all. 
I, I, I get the feeling that these people are not stupid. They're not throwing all this money at Bitcoin mining rigs because they didn't ever even think a possibility that, you know, Bitcoin would slide under $60,000 a coin. And they're not, they're not moving. They're not budging. If they're not budging, why would you just, you know, again, ponder that for a little while. MoneyGram invest in Bitcoin kiosk operator CoinMe. This is actually a little older. This is a couple of days ago. I didn't get to it yesterday, but Nomcios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Remittances giant MoneyGram has acquired a minority stake of 4% in Bitcoin to cash exchange CoinMe, according to a Wednesday press release. The investment closes CoinMe's Series A financing round with the aim to propel its international expression plans and help MoneyGram bridge the Bitcoin and fiat worlds. Quote, at MoneyGram, we continue to be bullish on the vast opportunities that exist in this ever-growing world of cryptocurrency and our ability to operate as a compliant bridge to connect digital assets to local fiat currency. Our investment in CoinMe further strengthens our partnership and complements our shared vision to expand access to digital assets and cryptocurrencies, end quote, uh, says uh, oh, uh, Chairman and CEO Alex Holmes of MoneyGram. In May, the money transferring firm partnered with CoinMe to bring Bitcoin kiosks to select physical MoneyGram locations in the United States, expanding CoinMe's reach and facilitating in-person Bitcoin purchases across the country. Quote, our unique cash to Bitcoin offering with CoinMe announced in May of 2021 opened our business to an entirely new customer segment, and we couldn't be more pleased with our progress. So there you go. <laughs> Yet one more company, you know, getting, you know, buying stake in uh, companies that already have their, you know, feet firmly planted into Bitcoin. Again, if you're looking at the price, I would start looking at what these people are doing, even though the price, I mean, this is, this was announced after, after we started sl sliding on the price. You know, and even though that they probably already had that deal in place before the price slide, they're, you know, they they would have been able, you know, to say, oh, shit, we really don't want to do this, you know, because they hadn't announced it yet. And yet here we are. They've announced it. Price is dipping. I would listen or, or I would be watching more about what people are doing than listening to the fear mongering that's going on right now. So y'all just chill out. Uh, let's see, what's this one? Do, 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 do. No, that one's gonna be a little too long. So we're just gonna go ahead and run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. Uh, flammable liquids are slightly mixed. We've got West Texas Intermediate down a fifth of a point to $79.28 a barrel. Brenton or C, however, is up slightly 0.05%, $82.03 per barrel. Natural gas is up 2.6%, $3.91 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline also up a fifth of a point to $2.30 per gallon. Gold is up 0.04% to $1,789. Silver is down a third of a point. Platinum is down a full point. Copper is up almost a half point. And palladium is up one and one half points. The Dow futures, uh, actually all, I'm sorry, not futures anymore. It's uh, the markets are actually trading live by, uh, right now. Dow is down 0.11%. S&P futures down also 0.13%. NASDAQ futures down, or sorry, NASDAQ is down 0.39%. S&P mini is down 0.04 or relatively flat. Real money has uh, the price at $41,834.62. 265,662 transactions on the Bitcoin network were performed in the last 24 hours. That's just over 11,000 transactions every hour on the hour with 971,000 BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's 40,500 BTC every hour on the hour. 3.66 BTC is the average transaction value. The median transaction value is 0.016 BTC. 
or about 650 bucks. Block times are low, nine minutes and 32 seconds. 0.09 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 14 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. With a 1.7% rise in hash rate, we are up to 176.74 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 0.15 US dollars or, you know, 15, 15 cents. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when it got up to like, I think it hit a high of, I want to say it was 77 cents. Yeah, if you bought that top, you ain't ever, ever coming back. 2,971 transactions waiting on eight blocks to clear. We are, oh God, we're at $787.5 billion in market capitalization, which is well below our highs, but we can still <clears throat> say that we have 6.68% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may buy one uh, with your one Bitcoin, 23.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks. Uh, there is 18,922,416.5 BTC in circulation at the time. 3,310.6 of those are tied up in the Lightning Network, valued at $137.6 million, running over 18,727 nodes, representing 83,326 uh, payment channels. 75.9% of all of this, which looks like a new all-time high, is being run over Tor. 2,513.65 BTC are shoved into the Tor side of the Lightning Network and being handled by 11,711 nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Well, you probably won't be able to use this one because we're going to delve into some shit coinery. <clears throat> That's right. We're going to do it. We're going to talk about Ethereum. Why? Because Vitalik Buterin has opened his mouth and said things, and they're very confusing. If you've seen, like, I haven't seen it because, you know, I've, I'm, I'm banned from Twitter. Uh, but apparently there is a tweet that was put out by Vitalik Buterin that uh, talks about multi-dimensional payments or Ethereum fee structures. I don't know. Martin Young has it from Cointelegraph. Vitalik proposes new multi-dimensional Ethereum fee structure. We should probably pause right there and understand that what we're about to get is yet more Rube Goldberg machine. If you've never seen a Rube Goldberg machine, just go duck, duck, go Rube, R-U-B-E, and Goldberg, I hope you can spell that, and machine, and you will understand just what a shit show Ethereum is on the inside, and it's just going to get worse. Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin has put his thinking cap on again in an attempt to improve the current fee structure for the network. The proposal, titled Multidimensional EIP 1559, was laid out in a blog post on Wednesday in which Buterin noted that different resources in the Ethereum virtual machine have different demands in terms of gas usage. He added that there are different limits for short-term burst capacity as opposed to sustained capacity within the Ethereum virtual machine, citing examples of block data storage, witness data storage, and block state size changes. Quote, the scheme we have today, where all resources are combined together into a single multidimensional resource, gas, does a poor job at handling these differences, end quote. The problem is that channeling all these different resources into a single one leads to very suboptimal gas cost when these limits are misaligned, he added. Buterin outlined his fairly complicated proposed changes with a lot of technical math, but in a nutshell, the proposal offers <clears throat> two potential solutions using multi-dimensional prices. The first option would calculate the gas cost for resources such as call data and storage by dividing the base fee for each unit of resource by the total base fee. The base fee is a fixed per block network fee included in the Ethereum Improvement Proposal EIP 1559 algorithm. 
The second more complex option, of course it's complex, dude, sets a base fee for using resources but includes burst limits on each resource. There would also be priority fees, which are set as a percentage and calculated by multiplying the percentage by the base fee. Are you confused yet? He stated that the drawbacks to the multi-dimensional fee structure is that block builders would not be able to simply accept transactions in high to low order of fee per gas. They would have to balance the dimensions and solve additional mathematical problems. It remains to be seen whether the proposal will be passed since the priority at the moment is the next big upgrade. The Ethereum network is currently gearing up for, quote, the merge, which will dock the Ethereum blockchain with the beacon chain and effectively end its use of proof-of-work consensus algorithm. Testing is already underway on the uh, Kintsugi testnet and full development is expected in the first quarter of this year. EIP-1559 was deployed in August as part of the London upgrade to burn a portion of the transaction fees in order to make gas pricing more predictable. Since it went live, 1.36 million Ether worth approximately $4.7 billion at current prices have been destroyed according to the burn ultrasound.money. Oh God. Uh, that's the end of the article. Did you understand any of that? And it's not, I mean, I can, you know, I can wrap my head around it, but it doesn't matter if I understand it fully or I don't understand it at all. And it doesn't matter if you do either. Why? Because he's introducing yet another round of potential gameable situations. I guarantee you somebody is already sitting there somewhere with a legal pad and a pencil trying to figure out how they can game this shit and they will. And the fact that the complications at this point are so overwhelming already that further complicating this system is, I, I just don't understand the engineering thought behind this. Engineers, generally speaking, kind of try to look for the most simple way to execute X. If you need X to be done, you need a way to execute that X. You don't want a convoluted Rube Goldberg machine, and that's what you already have. And this is just adding insult to injury on top of this entire shit show. My advice is to stay as far away from Ethereum as you possibly can for various reasons. Actually, not only various reasons, many, many separate various reasons. Just, God, just do yourself a favor and stay away from it. Bitcoin leverage, <clears throat> sorry, let's try this again. Bitcoin leverage ratio reaches new highs. God, as, as if you weren't already getting wiped out on leverage. We're just doubling down apparently. Joseph Hall has it for Cointelegraph. The estimated leverage ratio for Bitcoin hit a new all-time high last night according to CryptoQuant. Further metrics point to growing leveraged interest, but liquidations have remained relatively low. I don't see how. According to on-chain analytics resource CryptoQuant, while the Bitcoin price fell off a cliff over the past 24 hours, the estimated leverage ratio reached 0.224, an all-time high. The metric works by dividing exchanges' open interest by their coin reserve. The results show how much leverage traders are using on average. A higher ratio, such as 0.22, indicates that more investors are taking high leverage risks. Conversely, lower values mean traders are increasingly risk-averse in their, in their derivative trading. The blue line on the graph below is trended upwards since June of 2019. And that blue line is basically just showing how much more leverage there is. And yes, it has in fact hit an all-time high. Most cryptocurrency exchanges offer leverage trading with FTX, Hobie, and Binance leading the way. They have all agreed to reduce the amount of leverage available to traders in order to prevent mass liquidation events, such as the one seen in September of last year when $3.5 billion longs and shorts were liquidated. Nonetheless, it hasn't slowed exchanges' plans to bring leverage trading to a wider audience. Sam Bankman-Fried, CEO of FTX Exchange, tweeted that his FTX 20X Leverage Bitcoin Index has been listed on the Vienna Stock Exchange. According to the Weinbourse Austrian, oh, sorry, according to the Weinbourse, 
Austrian daredevils will soon be able to access up to 20x leverage BTC trades. Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, despite a circa 10% drop over the past three days, a mere half a billion dollars worth of liquidations took place across all exchanges according to coinglass.com data, less than the $600 million worth of liquidations that took place in minutes in March last year. It's eerie to observe the leverage ratio hit all-time highs and liquidations remain steady, all while the price stoops lower. Could more volatility be in the cards? God, you think? Analyst Will Clemente summed it up adequately in a tweet. Quote, could still resolve to the upside. All I know for sure is that this party is just getting started. Yeah, uh, we read that quote yesterday. The leverage situation has been out of hand forever. Um, BitMEX finally got stopped, uh, you know, basically cold Turkey, but they were offering, if I remember correctly, they were offering a hundred X leverage. And I, I, if I remember also correctly, there was somebody that was offering 150 X leverage. Uh, I can't remember who it was and it may not be true, but I just, I, that's just in my head that there was somebody that was actually offering more leverage than BitMEX. And I remember being very very surprised and concerned about that shit. Uh, don't leverage. Don't trade. Just buy it, hold it, you know, and just 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 wait. You know, mind the fiat job, you know, do do the things. This is not a get rich quick scheme. So, yeah, I know a lot of people did get rich quick, but I think we're in a different landscape in Bitcoin than in 2011, 2010, you know, 2012. You know, it's it's just different. And it's even different now than when I got in in 2015. This is this has the feeling of a different cycle. Uh from the last having up until now, there this feels different. And I believe that it feels different because there's so much more futures instruments online now than there was before the first having because before the first having the only derivatives that you got basically were leveraged longs and shorts on exchanges now we have whole instruments that are you know hedge funds that can you know do stuff with and it's it's crazy there's like five there's like five uh bitcoin futures options going on right now that have nothing to do with FTX, Huobi, Binance, or any of the exchanges. This is all off exchange. These are on other exchanges that are SEC, you know, Securities and Exchange Commission listed. So there's a different landscape that we're dealing with here. And I believe that that's why we're seeing what looks to be different, like a different price action. But be that as it may, we've got better fish to fry, like looking at how jacked up Solana is <clears throat> Solana network faces degraded performance for a second time this week. That's right. Twice this week. Ezra Regera has it for a uh, coin telegraph. The Solana blockchain has faced its second network performance degradation incident this week. According to Solana, this is happening because of a rise in high compute transactions. As a result, the network capacity, which was originally advertised to be 50,000 transactions per second, was reduced to several thousand transactions per second. Solana cited this as the reason why user experience failed transactions <clears throat> and added that its developers are already working to fix the issues. Of course they are. This latest network issue came only a few days after a similar incident on Tuesday where users experienced the exact same problems. Many speculated that the Tuesday incident was due to a distributed denial of service attack, but Solana co-founder Anatoly Yakanevka, I can't pronounce it, responded on Twitter saying that it's just the pain of getting a new runtime commercialized. Amid these recent events, Cyber Capital Chief Investment Officer Justin Bonds expressed his disapproval with Solana and published a series of tweets enumerating the reasons why he doesn't support the project. Bonds claims that Solana is consistently displaying a pattern of bad behavior and prioritizing attracting ignorant investors over good blockchain design. End quote. <clears throat> Bonds also criticized the security of the network, mentioning that DDoS attacks are not the only concern. He said that DDoS can be combined with a 51% attack. 
With this, he claims that attackers can temporarily gain proportionally staked control over the network by attacking other stakeholders. He dismissed this as, or sorry, Yekalov, or however you pronounce it, dismissed this as exhausting nonsense, stating it's impossible to DDoS a private key. Last year, Solana was hit by a DDoS attack, causing a similar effect and degrading the network's performance. Solana Labs head of communications, Austin Federa, said that the outage came after a number of transactions during an initial DEX offering landed in a Solana block that took an excessive amount of compute power. Compute for those kinds of transactions wasn't properly metered by the network and caused blocks to take much longer to process than the network expected, Federa stated. Does it matter what the problems are considering the fact that there's just nothing but problems with all of the shit chains? We don't have these problems with Bitcoin. The blocks come in roughly every 10 minutes. This has been doing that for 13 years. Why do we have any of these other things? It's because people can dupe other people out of their money thinking by telling them that they're going to replicate the success of Bitcoin and that if you're an early investor that you'll get rich. And sometimes this is true, but you're getting rich off of the backs of people who are getting poor. Doing that is unethical, by the way. Mozilla backflips on accepting crypto after planet incinerating backlash. Surajdeep Singh has it for Cointelegraph. <clears throat> the Mozilla Foundation has put cryptocurrency donations on hold following a community backlash sparked by trenchant criticism from co-founder Jamie Zawinski. Last week, the development company behind the Firefox browser tweeted an appeal for donations in cryptocurrency. But earlier on Thursday, Mozilla announced it had paused crypto donations due to the online discussion around crypto's environmental impact. Mozilla said it would continue to explore decentralized web technology, but will only resume crypto donations if it fits with its climate goals, you idiots. It said that in the spirit of open source, Mozilla will be transparent in the review process and share constant updates. The drama began on December the 31st, when the organization put out a call for cryptocurrency donations via the BitPay platform. The nonprofit's post attracted the disapproval of some members of its community, including Mozilla Zawinski. Although he has not been associated with Mozilla since 2000, he criticized the organization in the strongest possible terms. Quote, Everyone involved in the project should be witheringly ashamed of this decision to partner with planet incinerating Ponzi grifters. End quote. In a blog published on his website on Wednesday, Zawiski further talked about the cryptocurrency industry and what he argues is an unrealistic business model. Zawinski argues the industry manufactures, manufactures pollution and turns it into money. Some members of the community called for Mozilla to delete its call for donations and to spell out how accepting crypto was in line with its mission to fight the ongoing climate crisis. Can I just pause? How the hell is Mozilla and the fact that they build a web browser, how is it that their mission is fighting climate crisis? Isn't your mission to build a good web browser? And Mozilla's Firefox browser hasn't been good in three fucking years. It's been a horrendous pile of trash, at least for me. I mean, I've, I've, I have to use Google. I mean, I use Google Chrome and I don't like Google. I would rather use Mozilla, but it has been almost... It's almost like a nightmare working with this thing. And I, you know, maybe it's just because I have an older operating system. I don't know. But your mission should be making a web browser, not fighting climate change. It's like you have misaligned goals. That's why your browser sucks, dude. Anyway, Twitter user McBurn said, Bitcoin is bad for the climate while C-Legs questioned why Mozilla was on an enabling environmental catastrophe bent by supporting crypto. Some community members pointed to a company blog about the organization's climate commitments on January 21st, 2021, in which CEO Mitchell Baker is quoted talking about Mozilla and his commitment 
to protecting the environment and facing climate crisis. According to the New York Times, Bitcoin mining consumes more than 91 terawatt hours of electricity per year. Yeah, you don't listen to the New York Times. There's much better, much better resources for how much electricity the network actually uses. Mozilla is the latest high profile example to face the ire of some users after making crypto and non-fungible token related announcements. In recent months, Ubisoft, Square Enix, Kickstarter, and Discord have all faced cryptocism. (laughs) That's probably a good word to use. Criticism due to the environmental effects of mining and professed concerns over crypto scams and frauds. Popular video gaming company Square Enix faced criticism from gamers on social media when its president, uh, Yaku, wait, Yasuke Matsuda, showed appreciation for blockchain gaming, NFTs, and the metaverse over the weekend. Then again, money speaks louder than keyboard warriors, and his commitments led to an 8% gain in share price. Gaming giant Ubisoft faced harsh criticism by its users upon announcing the launch of in-game NFTs on December the 7th. Despite a significant backlash, Ubisoft will continue with its initiative in the form of dynamic NFTs with Aleph.im. Also in early December, Kickstarter announced plans to develop a decentralized crowdfunding platform. Some users threatened to abandon the platform owing to the environmental impact of crypto. Jesus Christ, get a spine, y'all. On November the 9th, Discord CEO Jason Citron shared a tweet signaling the company's intent to allow users to connect a crypto wallet with their accounts. Users expressed their concerns and talked about the amount of energy required to process blockchain transactions and the potential for money laundering and scams in cryptos and NFTs. Nice try, FBI. Just two days after publishing the tweet, Citron backtracked and said the company had no current plans of integrating Web3 concepts, Jesus, and it's committed to protecting its users from fraud, spam, and scam. God, it's just the virtue signaling is just all over the place. Get a grip, people. My God almighty. All right. Now, let's talk about the price action. I know we probably shouldn't talk about price action, but this has something to do with my analysis yesterday about the Fed. So let's do this one from Coindesk by Amkar Godbowl. Bitcoin slips to three-month low. Analysts are divided on the impact of Fed's tightening. Bitcoin continues to lose ground as minutes from the Federal Reserve's December meeting released earlier this week flagged the chance of a faster policy tightening. The leading cryptocurrency fell to $41,012 during Friday's Asia session, hitting the lowest level since September 29th and taking the weekly decline to 12%. The downward move gathered pace on Wednesday after the Fed minutes revealed policymakers discuss aggressive interest rate hikes alongside a faster pace of balance sheet normalization dubbed quantitative tightening, or QT, the opposite of liquidity-boosting balance sheet expansion. The hawkish tone took a toll on equities, with tech stocks bleeding for the second consecutive day on Thursday. Quote, Bitcoin has been trading as a risk-off, risk or risk-on, risk-off asset lately and seems to be tracking equities lower, Jeff Dorman, CIO at ARCA, told Coindesk in a Telegram chat. Laurent Cassis, I guess is how you pronounce it, a crypto exchange traded fund expert and director of CEC Capital, said about $200 million in long positions have been liquidated in the past couple of hours, pushing the spot price lower. He added that leverage uh, remains high and a further drop below 40000 may be seen, more so if bond yields continue to rise on the Fed's hawkish stance. The popular narrative is that the Fed plans to shrink its balance sheet and raise rates concurrently, and that could lead to prolonged asset price deflation. Quote, it's time to evaluate the conviction you have in whether positive interest rates could damage equity portfolio and see further global downward pressures, he said. A 60-40 equities to bonds portfolio mix means that if the 60% in equities declines, big fund managers automatically sell bonds to maintain the ratio. So if the Fed allows equity prices to fall, it will increase the borrowing cost of the governments because as bond prices fall, yields rise. That could trigger more selling in BTC. And honestly, I kind of don't see why. Maybe in the short term, yeah. But in the long term, 
it's going to cause problems and you're going to want to have a safe haven. You're going to want to fly into something else other than this shit show because I don't think they're going to be able to keep bond prices or bond yields high because of the serviceable or unserviceable debt that that represents. But that's just my analysis. On Thursday, the two-year Treasury yield, which mimics short-term interest rate and inflation expectations better than the 10-year yield, rose to a 22-month high of 0.87%. The short-term yield has more than doubled to 0.76% in the past quarter, according to TradingView. The yields may rise further if the U.S. non-farm payrolls data scheduled for release at Oh, 1330 UTC on Friday shows the pace of job additions nearly doubled to 400,000 in December as expected. That would validate the Fed's recent hawkish pivot. According to Brent Donnelly, president of at Spectrum Markets, the macro story has got worse for crypto in the past few months. Quote, stay bearish crypto as Fed's QT plan accelerates. The macro story has got even worse for crypto since I started talking about the crypto bear case in November, Donnelly said in an analysis note shared on Twitter. Quote, markets tend to view QT as the most risk-negative brand of tightening policy from the Fed because it's the inverse of the aggressive monetary easing that triggers a Pavlovian buy-everything reaction each time the Fed eases, he said. Some observers suggest otherwise. Quote, the fears of a prolonged bear market in stocks and digital assets might be overblown as historically markets have remained resilient during tightening cycles, Arcas Dorman said. Indeed, Bitcoin pretty much remained bid through the major part of the previous tightening cycle that began in December 2015 and ended in December 2018. The cryptocurrency rallied from roughly 350 bucks to nearly 20,000 in the two years to December 2017 before entering a year-long bear market. Further, stock markets came under pressure in the final quarter of 2018 after nearly two years of rate hikes, as Dorman said on Twitter. Quote, bottom line, the Fed raising rates is not what causes big, long-lasting market sell-offs. It's after very long Fed hike cycles when markets typically face sustained declines and recessions happen. Bloomberg's Mike Glone, I guess that's how you pronounce it, Mike Glone, Mike McGlone, yeah, Mike McGlone foresees Bitcoin and crypto benefiting from the tightening cycle. Quote, expectations for Federal Reserve rate hikes in 2022 may support a win-win scenario for Bitcoin versus the stock market, McClone said in a research note published on Thursday. Quote, stretched markets have become common, but commodities in Bitcoin appear to be early revision leaders. It's a question of bull market duration, and we see the benchmark crypto coming out ahead. So there you go. We've got competing views on how the Fed's tightening or supposed tightening is going to affect markets, and that includes Bitcoin. Honestly, again, I said it yesterday, I just don't see how they're going to be able to sustain higher bond yields after they've printed this much money for this long. The whole thing is out of control, and I don't think... Putting, I, I don't think that the brakes are going to have enough braking power to be able to get this behemoth to stop. And it's going to cause problems in the short term and nobody's going to know where to go except for all of us that are in Bitcoin because we know exactly where to go. It doesn't matter if the price is slipping. You buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin, and you wait. You, you mine your fiat job, you you wait you wait it out it's it's i it's going to be okay i just keep looking at the damn chart all i have to do is zoom out and go yep i'm seeing this pattern again i'm i've i've got i've i've got a trading view chart that i have like literally one one thing that i've drawn on it i i don't do char- i'm not a chartalist I've got one thing drawn on it and it's a, uh, it's four or rather two pairs of boxes. And I'm not going to tell you where they are. It's just that I'm seeing, I'm, I've got to actually update my trading view again because I'm seeing the same pattern that my two boxes like wrap around these two little, you know, 
these parts of, of the price graph as it's going up, um, there's some spots there that look eerily familiar to each other. And now I'm seeing that same pattern form again. And I just don't think, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what's going on. Again, like as indicated before, this seems to be very much of a different landscape, but be that as it may, we just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. That I mean, really, there's really no more you know analysis that you can do because do you want a CBDC? If you want a CBDC, then by all means, buy that shit. But dude, otherwise, buy Bitcoin. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, it's Friday. And before I get any too further <clears throat> into doing this show in the new year and forget the format, let's have a joke. Dad says jokes. The boss texts me, hey, send me one of those funny dad jokes. Me, I can't, I'm busy working. Boss, that's hilarious. Do you have any more? And there you go. There's the first two shows of 2022 of Bitcoin and, and I got to tell you, I'm missing all of you on Twitter. I really am. It's although, you know, taking a break is probably good. You know, it's just, I wish it hadn't have been a forced break, but that was my fault. I, I take full responsibility for that stupid shit. Um, y'all be good to each other. Uh, it's, you know, it's Friday, it's the weekend, it's like, as far as I know, I guess it's the first weekend of, uh, 2022 or maybe the second, I don't know, man, things is, I can't even add at this point. Um, y'all again, y'all be good to each other. And, uh, the call to first, if anybody knows how to do web development, reach out to me on Gitter. I'm like, uh, let's see, what am I? Oh yeah, I guess I should tell you what uh, what my thing is. I am B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Gitter. I am uh, on, uh, <clears throat> oh God, on Mastodon. You can reach me at Nunya Bidness, N-U-N-Y-A-B-I-D-N-E-S-S at bitcoinhackers.org. That's Rodolfo Novak's instance of, uh, of Mastodon. I am also on Telegram, uh, none you business over there. Um, <clears throat> try to reach out to me. Let me know, is it possible? Is it even remotely possible to have a third party app act as an aggregator for just any social media site? Because I, I just, it's got to the point now where our, our landscape in social media is so fragmented and not having one platform speak to another platform is kind of, at this point, it's kind of ridiculous. Now, I know I shouldn't say that <clears throat> because it's like, you know, the, the re response should be, well, you dumbass, if you knew how to program, maybe you'd do it. Well, okay, that's, that is a fair assessment and I'm not going to get into anybody's shit about that. But I can't, I, I'm not a web developer. I don't know how to program, but I've been, you know, I've been using these things for long enough to know that at least it's possible for something like if I make an Instagram post that I can use IFTTT to get it over to Twitter. I was using Moa.party to get all my tweets, uh, everything that I did over on Twitter was automatically mirrored to my Macedon, to uh, Novak's Macedon instance off of my Nunya Business account over there. And if I tooted something from Macedon, then Moa Party would translate that over to Twitter. But these are like just two-way pegs. Can we get a multi-peg? Is what I'm look is that's what I'm looking for. Some kind of multi-peg where whatever your, you know, thing of interest is, you know, whether your, your main platform is Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Macedon or Gitter or Telegram or Matrix or Sphinx Chat or all of these things to be able to just have, like, I like the interface of Twitter and I want to be able to spread that mess, like <clears throat> tweet once and have it hit everything 
without having five different pegs that, and, and never knowing which peg breaks. Cause I've had the IFTTT peg break a couple of times in the past and I had to reset it. Uh, Moa party broke once and I had to reset that. <clears throat> so I'm asking, I'm begging if anybody has any idea as to whether or not it's even possible, please reach out and tell me whether it's possible. And if it's not possible, why? And if it's not also, if it's not possible, is there any workaround? Because without unifying all these things, we're, we're literally living on separate planets. And I don't think that that is really conducive to being able to build out what we need to be building out in the future. Well, keep that in mind and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.